0: And let's say the bottom part of that screen, which is what we're going to sing just a little bit later, because it reminds us to do what God's called us to do. Let's say it together. Awake, my soul, and sing. We come before you right now, and Lord, as we uh, stated at the beginning of this service, awake my soul and sing, awake my soul and worship and praise and adore and love. Lord, we pray that we would do all those things today, that we would give you all of the worship that we could possibly give, knowing, Lord, that you're the one that provides the uh, the spirit, the energy to even be able to give to you. And so, Lord, we uh, we give to you graciously today, and, and we pray. Uh, I just thank you so much for your presence here among us today. Uh, Lord, teach us your ways and uh, help us to be obedient. In Christ's name we pray.
1: Amen. It's a blessing to greet you from baptismal waters. And it's important for us to think seriously about uh, redemption and salvation. Uh, What a wonderful thing it is when the Lord God, through the Spirit and the Word, shows us the glory of Jesus Christ through the gospel and then we respond with the leadership of the Holy Spirit in repentance and faith toward Christ only for salvation. When we pray with parents about their children's conversion and salvation we certainly tread over waters that we don't necessarily understand everything. I remember Thinking as a kid, growing up, I became 15, 16, 17-year-old. I, I never thought about the obedience of Jesus for my salvation until I got older, right? There are certain aspects of it we don't think about. But I know Harper and Cross today have given all they know of themselves, which wasn't too good, was it, hon? To all they know of Jesus, who is mighty to save, and they've trusted him. So we rejoice, and Harper Howard has trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior... And it's my privilege. Oh, if you're, sorry about that. If you're here to witness as family, stand up. And kids, you're in here too. Stand up for Harper. Kids, young people. <laughs> All right, you ready? Harper, upon your for- profession of faith, trusting Jesus as your Lord, it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For we are bare with Christ through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. This is Cross McMurray. I will encourage you, stand up and look at everybody first. All right. I would encourage you to ask Cross and Howard about their conversion experience. It will be a blessing for them to share that with you. Uh, Cross, do you have some family here? You got some from Texas, don't you? Look at that, all the way from Texas. All right. Cross, upon your profession of faith trusting Jesus as your Lord. And us, in obedience to the Great Commission, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life.
0: Amen. How awesome it is to begin a worship service with the ordinance of baptism. Well, in a moment, Brother Philip's gonna come and we finally get to the passage that all of us husbands have been wanting for all year long. <laughs> Wives, submit. Amen. <laughs> but then it tells it it says even more to the husbands later, so we're we're not off the hook. But uh, but then later on. Paul says about these passages, um, I am saying, uh, uh, this is a profound mystery, I am saying this refers to Christ and his church. So first we've got to understand the relationship between Christ and the church before we truly understand the relationship between husbands and wives. Amen? And so we're going to be talking a lot and singing a lot about Christ and the church today and what we believe about those two extremely important uh, points in scripture. Let's Let's stand together and sing this great uh, message today. This, I believe. here talks about christ and the church
2: i believe in life eternal i believe in the virgin birth i believe in the saints communion and in your holy church i believe in the resurrection when jesus
0: Well, many of you recognize that song that probably came from or based on the Apostles' Creed. We're going to sing another song uh, based on that same creed. The church's one foundation was uh, composed primarily as an answer to the division of, a, of a, the church in South Africa generated by a bishop who denounced much of the Bible as untrue, Samuel Stone then responded by writing this hymn based on the Apostles' Creed, 1866, The Church is One Foundation, based on the ninth article, which talks about the church and the communion of saints. Let's sing together, The Church is One Foundation. Today, Lord God, we understand that we are Your church. We are Your people. We are to be obedient to every word inside the front and the back cover of this Word of God. Lord, we pray that we would hear today, that we would be obedient, Um, Lord. That um, that families would be strengthened by what's going to be preached in in the next few weeks. Um, Lord, if there's ever been a time where the family unit needed to be strengthened, we know it's today. And, Lord, we just pray to that end. Lord, we pray that as we give today, that um, we we know that as we give, um, monies will be channeled toward Vacation Bible School this week. It will be channeled toward mission trips and other outreach endeavors, Sunday school teaching, and so many things, Lord. And we pray that we would just be faithful in our giving today so ministries could go on and your kingdom would grow. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
3: Ladies, sing this. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm.
2: Man, join us. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Hang on just a minute guys,
0: I didn't start that song right, and I, I want to start it right for this reason. I wanted the ladies to, to start it by themselves. I didn't announce that to you all, ladies. Uh, I hope I'm going to hear a big amen on this. There is still a difference between male and female. Amen. Right? And as we were singing uh, this morning, it just struck me the tenderness that I heard in the ladies' voices as opposed to the gruff, Christ alone, just, it just, it just, it just rings so, so different. And, and let's just, let's just celebrate the difference. Amen? Because it's always going to be that way. Always been that way. Always going to be that way. So I was supposed to say, ladies, would you join our ladies in singing the first part of In Christ Alone?
3: In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought.
1: well I want to say thanks to David for doing what he did now it would not be good for you if I got to the end of my sermon and said hey I forgot to tell you something and let's start back over but we are about teaching and instruction in the church and so it's really good at times to pump the brakes and say you know what we missed something there that we need to hear and think about and I appreciate that so much all right, we often refer to the polarization of moral issues as the culture wars, right? Now consider for a moment polarization. It is the divi- it's a division into two sharply contrasting sets of beliefs. That's what polarization means. Now, do we have this going on in our country? Just stop and think for a moment the polarization in the culture wars when it comes to abortion saw this week where Abby Johnson just couldn't help reading this without weeping Abby Johnson was a former planned parenthood clinic director that turned pro-life she said this more people in America would be opposed to abortion If they saw its brutality. And she said this. When you see dismembered in its mother's womb. A precious child. That changes your perspective. And when you see body parts stacked on top of each other. You change your perspective. God help us. God help us. That's why there's a polarization. Because we know that that's life. Made in the image of God. But people who are lost have no grip on that. And even saved people can't get past human choice to look to God who gives life. Well, that's one example. But I will tell you what's on the front line of the polarization is marriage and family. Isn't it? Are these hot topics? You better believe it. In his work called God, Marriage, and Family, Dr. Andreas Kossenberger writes, It can be rightly said that marriage and family are institutions under siege in our world today. And that with marriage and family, our very civilization is in crisis. Once God is removed as the initiator of the institutions of marriage and the family, then the door is wide open for a plethora of human understanding of these terms and concepts. And in the spirit of the postmodernism, no one definition has the right to claim greater legitimacy than any other. I think it goes without saying, folks, that we have a huge responsibility in the church to defend the God-ordained institutions of marriage and family. However, let me give you a, another side of this. We must also be careful not to allow the culture wars to drive us into a reductionist view of marriage and family. Now, I'm going to clarify what I mean by that. I'd submit to you that it's already happening in our world, even among believers in the church. For instance, we can get so embattled against homosexual marriage, and we should. We should be totally against it that we end up reducing the understanding of marriage to only one man and one woman. But yet the Bible teaches so much more about marriage than just for us to defend it. Is marriage a heterosexual enterprise instituted by a holy God? Yes! And amen. Male and female. When we reduce marriage to only gender issues, we can easily surrender so much of what the word of God has to say. For instance, we know the evils and difficulties of divorce. And we can in turn be so focused upon the permanence of marriage that we end up missing the purpose of marriage. Ephesians 5 is going to give you the ultimate purpose of marriage. We can spend a lot of time fighting against feminism. We talked about that last week. It is totally antithetical to what the Word of God teaches. Egalitarianism is totally antithetical to what the Bible teaches. Don't hear me wrong, to defend God-ordained marriage against these dangers is vitally important. Marriage between a male and a female is a fundamental biblical worldview that will never change. The permanence of marriage, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That's a fundamental biblical worldview. Gender roles between a male and a female, husband and wife, are fundamental biblical Values and issues. It forms the very moral fiber of our understanding of marriage. So let's be careful as we battle for the moral foundations and those issues that we don't succumb to think that the moral issue is the only issue. Something bigger than that in the church of the living God. The moral issues that flow out of rejecting God's design for marriage are found all over the Bible. You see those symptoms, don't you? You see what flows out of wrong-headed decisions all the way through the Bible. All the way from when the Lord God tells Adam and Eve in the garden that there's conflict and confusion based upon your sin and it's not going to go away. And all the way through poetry and narratives and the Psalms and everything else, you see what relationships look like when they're not under the Holy Spirit of God and the Lordship of Christ. So, don't let the culture wars define the institutions of marriage and family for us. Let's let the word of God define what marriage is. So, in that light and in that vein, here's what Dr. Kossenberger says again. For all that the church is doing in this area of marriage and family, the fact remains that in the end, there is shockingly very little difference between the world and the church. Theologically and hermeneutically, naivety... Gives birth to superficial diagnoses, which in turn issues forth into superficial remedies. The dynamics and the effects of sin are poorly understood in our day, and the result is that many Christian self help books owe more to secular culture than a thoroughgoing Christian worldview. So true, folks. Please don't forget that the culture and the moral symptoms all around us today are just that. They're symptoms of not doing it God's way. They are symptoms of a deeper and more theological crisis that we have in the church. And so as Christians, the goal is not just to settle that it's between a male and a female. The Bible settles that one. Okay? I say to you today that we need to be concerned about way more than that when it comes to a biblical vision of a Christ-centered marriage. We as the people of God ought to have a consuming passion to be concerned ultimately about the glory of God in our marriages. We need to be overwhelmingly consumed, consumed with seeing Christ reflected in the institution of marriage and his relationship to his church put on display for the world. Because when you do that, you're sharing the gospel, even through your marriage. So we defend the biblical institution of marriage when the culture begins to attack it. However, we need as a church to strive for more than just morally sound marriages. We need to strive for biblically sound marriages that put Christ on display. We need Christ-centered marriages that are filled with the Holy Spirit and governed by the living and powerful and abiding Word of God. So, are you ready? That was all intro. Do I need to repeat that, David? Right? So as we approach Ephesians 5... 22 through 33, the goal this morning is for me just to give you a broad understanding and set forth a biblical view or vision of of Christ-centered marriages. That is in the title, Spirit-Filled Marriages, a Christ-centered vision of marriage. It is a fact that in our churches... We have majored on this text and others a lot, haven't we? If I were to poll you to ask you how many times you've heard this passage or similar passages regarding marriage, many of you would say yes. There are times when we feel like, as pastors, we've beaten a dead horse because we teach and teach and teach. Any of you ladies or men, have you dreaded this passage this week? You knew it was coming. Right? And some of you may have the attitude this morning, if you're a lady, we're going to hear Ephesians 5, 22. Submit, submit, submit is what I'm going to hear. Right? Some of you husbands out there, you thought when you walked in, I'm going to hear, love your wife as Christ loved, loved the church. I tried and I failed. I can't do it. So I don't need to hear that again. There are others who say, Ephesians 5, submit, 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 because I'm the head. And I'm going to get the podcast of the preacher's sermon. I'm going to put it everywhere she goes in the house so that she will not forget it. Well, my lesson for you as we start is don't become weary with sermons that ask you guys to lead and you ladies to submit. I urge you to give yourself to these expositions of Ephesians 5 in a fresh way, trusting God for his perspective. We need God's perspective. There's something bigger in this text than simply leading and submitting. There is a worldview perspective that is ultimate here about what marriage is about. So don't simply look at the commands and miss the greater redemptive purpose of the passage. There is no basis for the commands in this text without redemption. As a matter of fact, you will be pharisaical... If you just obey the commands without being a God-honoring believer, right? So don't miss that. Don't fall into pharical sayism and miss the redemptive understanding of why you do what you do as a husband or a wife. Okay, so this morning I'm going to give you observations. Are you ready? Here's the first observation looking at Ephesians 5, 22 through 23 as a whole. Number one. Paul gives us in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is this important? You better believe it. He's not simply unfolding for us the biblical foundations of marriage, although they're all over it. He's talking about what it looks like in the marriage relationship when we are filled with the very Spirit of God. In other words, this is different than Genesis 3. Y'all with me? When conflict and confusion... Grabbed hold of the husband-wife relationship. How beautiful it is in Genesis 2 when he is called Ish, man. And she is called Isha and she's taken out of the side of man. Hallelujah. I feel like the poet. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, because she's taken out of man, Ish. What a beautiful picture. But when you get to chapter 3, Katie, bar the door. Something happened. And it's called sin. But what you see in Ephesians 5 is a look at, let's call it maybe a little grip of paradise. Because it is the husband-wife relationship being filled with the Spirit. So it ought to pique your interest that this is first what this is about. Holy Spirit-filled, led, controlled marriages. Now, if you're a believer today, do you want the Spirit of God to control your life? How much more so should we want the Holy Spirit of God to control our marriages. So this passage is a part of a bigger section that begins with a command in verse 15. I, I know I've hammered this. I'm sorry, verse 18. I know I've hammered this, but you have to see it. The command is all the way back in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, but be filled. That, that's the verb. That, that is the verbal command. Be being filled I know grammatically in English that doesn't sound good, but that's what it is. Be being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And then you have five participles of result. We preached on those. Singing, speaking to yourselves in Psalms, hymns. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Melody, making melody. That's three. Thanksgiving, for And submitting is the next one. Now, grammatical lesson. Are you ready? Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now verse 22, wives, submit. Did y'all know, and I made sure of this yes, this week studying, did you know that submit is not in verse 22? Why is it not in there? Because it's implied. And literally it reads, be in submission or be submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, to your own husbands. Y'all see the strength of the grammar? It's picking up submission throughout the entire narrative without even supplying the word in the Greek. You have an English translation and submit may be in italics or it may be to your left or right as a variant reading because they've interposed that. Why? To help you understand what the subject is. So, since we haven't read the text all the way through, you going to do that? For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. His body Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is what it looks like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This is what the marriage looks like. You're following out this command. You follow out the command of the Lord, being controlled by the Spirit in submission to God's Word. So what Paul is giving us is not just a morally right marriage one man, one woman for a lifetime, but spirit-filled marriages. Marriages that are governed by the Spirit of God, that are saturated in the Word of God. The Spirit takes the Word, filling the husband and the wife, and governing them and controlling them in such a way that it glorifies Jesus. That's spirit-filled marriages. What is a spirit-filled marriage? Well, when we take into consideration the goal and the role of the Spirit of God... It should become clear to us what it is. Okay? That's the first one. didn't take long. When Paul gives us Ephesians 5, through 33, he's giving us marriage and what it looks like being filled with the Spirit of God. Number two, this one will be a little longer. Marriage is God's distinctive design to reflect the relationship between his son and his bride, the church, for the glory of God. Now, if you let your eyes move down to verse 32, here's what Paul says. After explaining the the role of the wife and the role of the husband, he says, This mystery is profound. Anybody believe marriage is a mystery? (laughs) Well, our understanding of that would be more like, it's puzzling, right? It's a mystery, it's puzzling. But that's not what Paul means. A mystery in the Bible is something that that had been hidden in the past, but now has been revealed to us in the Word of God. So he's telling us about this great mystery. A mystery, again, it has been revealed by God to us. So he says, what is he speaking of? I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. So if you really want to understand marriage, understand this. Marriage exists not as an end in itself. But marriage exists by divine design to reflect a previous relationship, an eternal relationship, and that is Christ and His church. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? That is a lot, but that's why marriage exists. It's not an end in itself, but marriage exists by divine, divine design. So, don't we get this backwards sometimes? We think, well, God instituted marriage and then God figures out that marriage is a pretty good example of the way that his son came down from heaven and redeemed a bride, so God just decided, well, that's pretty good. Should have known better. Should have thought about that before. No, folks, the relationship between Christ and his bride is previous to the relationship of marriage. This is key for you to understand this. God created the Marriage Institute as a revelation of Christ's relationship to his church. Marriage is an analogy of an already existing reality. That's why God gave it. Marriage is an institution ordained by God. Y'all believe that? And mankind does not have a right to change what God ordained. Period. Yet marriage exists primarily not for the creatures but for the Creator. Please if you don't hear anything else, hear this about the glory of God. Marriage exists not first for the creatures, but for the Creator. He did this. Marriage is a special design to reflect the relationship between the Son of God and His bride, the church. Now, we need to keep the ultimate design for marriage in our minds. It is a reflection of Christ and the church. Now, let's bring the Holy Spirit back into the picture. Y'all ready? What is it that the Holy Spirit of God delights in doing? We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit. What does he delight in doing? John chapter 16 verse 14, bringing glory to Jesus. Got it? He will glorify me is what Jesus said he would do. He will always put the spotlight not on himself but on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, in your marriage, he wants you to pay attention to Jesus. If it is his role to bring glory to Christ in all things, then surely he wants us to bring glory to God through our marriages. He wants to point us to Jesus. Put it together. If marriage is to represent Christ and his church, then the Spirit's role in marriage is to sanctify that husband in such a way and to sanctify that wife in such a way That Jesus Christ will be clearly put on display by your marriage. Hallelujah! Y'all look like you're asleep, so I had to say something, right? Are you getting this? That's what God wants to happen with your marriage. You fulfill your role as husbands in such a way that is so God-honoring that Jesus Christ is put on display by a husband who is a servant of the Most High God. Who loves his wife sanctifyingly, sacrificially, and sensitively? Always. Wow. And, and wives who submit unto the leadership of a godly husband as the church submits itself unto Christ its head. That's the goal. We need to sharpen our focus in marriage. The first thing we do when it comes to marriage issues is we often focus on the earthly aspects. Are y'all y'all with me? Don't we? What about my personal happiness? It's important. Happiness. What about our finances? We're poor already. When we get married, you know what that means? That means two of us are going to be poor. Right? How about communication? That has to be way up there on the list. Well, these parts of marriages are, difficult, are, are important. And you know what? The Bible certainly deals with those but folks I think we're forgetting the biblical picture the big view of marriage don't you think that the kind of joy that God designed for marriage should be found when we understand the ultimate purpose God made it don't you think that's true we need to back up and stop thinking atomistically not Adam but atom we need to, we need to step back and start thinking in terms of ready Christ Church, Spirit That's what we need to start thinking about when it comes to our marriages in this church Christ, Church, Holy Spirit Why is it so difficult for us to start thinking in those panoramic views of Christ, Church and the Holy Spirit Can I tell you why it's hard for me? Because I'm in love with myself And you are too Let's be honest That's why it's so hard. You know, much of marriage counseling often is about how can I get the most out of this marriage? Right? How is it he needs to be meeting my needs or she needs to be meeting my needs and we quickly find out that it hits the earthly so fast. And I get it. That's where you live. But I'm telling you, if we get our focus on what we ought to be focusing on and the big picture, it will change. When we look at how Christians deal with marriage, we quickly find that there is not a nat's difference between the way the world deals with marriage and the way the church tries to deal with marriage. Ray Ortland writes, A Christian marriage that is faithful to its one flesh meaning incarnates the ultimate reality of sacrificial divine love in Christ wedded to the joyful human devotion in the church. Through all, the mystery of the gospel is unveiled. And he says, every human marriage is truest to itself when it points beyond itself, representing something of Christ and the church in their perfect union. Think about this again. Every human marriage is truest to itself when it points beyond itself. Folks, we need this perspective, don't we? Do you think this is critical for our understanding of marriage? That we look at it the way that God Almighty designed it? Much of the discussion about marriage, even among evangelical sources and circles, would be completely acceptable to Mormons and Muslims. Did y'all know that? To the Mormon faith or to the Islamic faith, much of what's written, even by Christian authors when it comes to marriage and how to deal with things, would be just as morally acceptable among Muslims is and Islamists as we do at the church. We just gobble up stuff all the time. But here's the difference in a biblical understanding. You've got to have distinctly Christocentric marriages. In other words, when you put Christ into it, Muslims are not going to like it. When you put Christ into it, Mormons are not going to like it. You understand that Christ makes the difference. What Jesus has accomplished for us makes the difference. Hear this. Only a distinctively Christian marriage gets to the heart of the creator in marriage. Only a distinctively Christ-centered Christian marriage gets to the heart of Of why the creator made marriage. Now marriage is a creation ordinance. In other words that means. God expects in his created order. For there to be male and female. That get married. But not everybody that's married. Is a Christian. Right? In that regard marriage is not only for Christians. However. It's only in a Christian marriage. Where God's ultimate design. Can in fact be fulfilled. So. In a Christian marriage, the Holy Spirit is working to do what? Glorify Jesus. Guys, y'all listening? The Holy Spirit is not working in such a way in your wife that she submits so that you have supper on time. If that's the only focus you've got, you're missing it because God wants her to be a radiant bride. Adorned for Him. Marriage is the framework And all three persons of the Godhead are involved with your marriage. God the Father, He created it. God the Son loved you in such a way that He died for you. And marriage is to depict that. And wives submitting unto their husband is a reflection of the godly submission of a church to Christ. Beautiful design. Should this view of marriage transform our approach? Yes, it should. Don't miss the beauty and glory of what God says about marriage just because you think it is an old institution. Do we get passive sometimes and forget what God has given us? If you've been married for quite some time, like I have, but not near as long as some of you, uh, on June 29th, Natalie and I were married 31 years. I've been married way longer, Right? Splitting my life in half, I've been married way longer than I haven't been. Right? Mr. Harvey Wright went to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago. 72 years he and Miss Annie were married to one another. Amazing. Now, I've been married for 31 years and sometimes it feels like an old institution. Now, I'm not getting derogatory here at all. Your spouse is a part of your life in every single way. You wake up in the morning and you see one another, might I say, at their worst. All you got to do is smell that breath in the morning. My goodness, good night. Right? But that's part of life. But listen, the familiarity with it sometimes robs us of the zeal and motivation to actually do what we're supposed to do. You know it's true, don't you? We need to ask our God to renew our zeal so that we look at marriage afresh. And that we embrace Christ-centered marriages. So folks, as we go through this section of scripture over the next few weeks, I want you to embrace a few things. Alright, these are the subpoints in your bulletin. You ready for them? You need to, in em- marriage, uh, remember this first, marriage is truest to itself when your marriage points beyond itself. Dr. Orton is so spot-on on that. Okay? So out of that, And out of other statements, let me give you three things. First, embrace the vision of God's glory in and through your marriage. What I'm asking you to do, I'm asking you to contemplate your marriage as an arena for the glory of God and the gospel. See your marriage as an arena for the glory of God to be displayed through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And you're saying to me, you don't understand, preacher, my marriage is not what you think it is. You don't even have to tell me that, I know it. I know it's true for all of us. It doesn't call us here to do this only if our marriages are what we think they're supposed to be. Don't you think the Lord knows what your marriage is like? Don't you think he knows what all of our marriages are like? He knows your strength. He knows your witness, weaknesses. He knows the stubbornness of that man. And you ladies say. But he also knows the stubbornness of that woman. And you men say. Boy, y'all are quiet, man. You know better. Right? He knows the darkness of our hearts. I want to remind you, the heart is deceitful above all things. That word deceitful is Jacob in Hebrew. Jacob was a heel grabber, grasping for Esau's heel as they were born as twins. He's a deceiver. The heart is deceptive above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. This is why we need to listen. It's not written for those who have their act together. This is a call to embrace something bigger than yourself and your marriages. All right. so when we say something like embrace God's purpose for your salvation, it's often that we can get a grip of this, can't we? Did you know your salvation is more than just about you? As a matter of fact, it was actually done temporal before the foundation of the world to bring God glory. That's the ultimate reason why he saved sinners, to bring himself glory. And then all of a sudden we're like, wow, there's a bigger picture out there. It's really not all about me. It is about the glory of God. We, have, we can easily accept that at times. Why is it when it comes to marriage that it's a little bit harder for us to accept that God is doing something in and through you and your husband and wife for his greater glory? Let me tell you why. Because we're territorial. We are self-centered. We are egotistical. And yes, we are hedonistic at times. So... This causes us not to see the big picture because we're so humanly fickle and fake and warped, right? We are, and it hurts. Look, so start this off this week and next week, and every how many weeks I preach this. It's going to be a while. To embrace the glory of God in your marriage. Why? Because marriage in the truest is truest to itself when your marriage points beyond itself. Number two... Oh, after this, start by asking. Embrace the vision of the glory of God in your husband and wife. I'm asking you to embrace this even if you're not married. Uh, I'm asking you to embrace this if you're at marital age. I'm asking you to embrace this if you're a little kid on the front row. Because one day you'll probably get married. Right? So do we need to teach our children what God intends for marriage to be? Do we? God doesn't exist to magnify marriage. Marriage exists to magnify God. We need to get this into our kids' head. Our marriages are a display case for the glory of God. I think there's a very real danger here. And it happens in church life. I'm telling you, we have a danger of idolizing marriage and family in such a way That we rob Jesus of his glory. And the flip side of that. We want to make absolutely sure. That we embrace the glory of God in our marriages. And we reject any view that reduces marriage to some kind of ball and chain. Designed to squash women and inhibit men. How many times have I gone to a wedding ceremony. And I've jokingly said certain things. But I've heard something like this. Hey dude. You only got 15 minutes of freedom. You better leave this place before you tie the knot. Don't look at me so spiritual. You know you've done the same thing, right? You better go off and live it up because when you tie the knot, you're done. You are, literally. When you say, I do, you're done, right, when it comes to the commitment. But we flippantly put it off like it's a ball and chain. For the lady, and it inhibits the man. That's not the way God designed it when He paraded every animal He had ever made. And Adam, with a brain that wouldn't fit inside of your head, has the capacity to name every single one of them. Man, sin has messed us up, hasn't it? But there was not one found for Adam as they walked by, and he was alone, but God Almighty knew he was alone, right, and said it was not good that man should be alone, and out of his side, first surgery with anesthesia, took a part of his side, could have been a rib, but the Hebrew is a part of his side, formed a woman, isn't that awesome? Look, folks, that's not an inhibitor. That's not to inhibit men. It's to complete you. That's what it means. The Old Testament design for marriage was, Therefore shall a man leave and cleave. Why does it say the man should leave and cleave? Why does it say the woman? Because in the Hebrew understanding, there was nothing more important than a father and a son's relationship. But Jesus is like, No, you got it wrong, buddy. The preeminent of all human relationships is that man and that woman. It is numeral uno. It is not you and your kid. It is you and your spouse. And if you don't get that right in your family, your family will turn itself on its head. Right? You will. My kids grew up in a home where I said, I'm sorry, but mom has first place. Mom has first place. I knock your teeth out right, you know that's the way it has to be in order for the kids to grow up and know that hey marriage is to be esteemed husbands love your wives wives follow that godly leadership right, so embrace the glory of God in your marriage and don't do so as a ball and chain right, understand that God has given it to you for something that is absolutely wonderful, All right, second we need to embrace our responsibilities with hope and joy, now this is important, okay These are incredible responsibilities that we're going to read for the wife and the husband. And it's in the context of Spirit's control. However, we can start to see marriage in its Christ-centered light. If we do that, then we can take our responsibilities with hope and joy. Why is this important? Because for some reason, we think that these things are going to happen instantaneously. Now, if you, we got some that are getting ready to be married, and I'm glad you're in here. Right? And there's others. And we think, well, that's hard work. Well, you better believe it. And we're not telling you that your life is going to go easy and smooth, and you're going to sell off into the sunset with no problems in marriage. Let me tell you, it's going to be hard. Right? So we're not denying the difficulty. Okay? But you've got to understand that this is God's way. Are y'all listening? He's not giving you this because it's a suggestion. He's telling you the way He ordained marriage so that it honors Him. So even though it's going to be hard, you understand that God's ways are best. And so it gives you hope, right? It's different. Rather than a woman God, uh, rather it is a woman of God fulfilling a responsibility in the power of the Holy Spirit because you're liberated to a higher calling. The wife submitting unto, that gives us hope because that's what God says the church is supposed to do. And when you turn it over for the husband to love the wife as Christ loved the church, that doesn't mean you walk around with your chest stuck out like a bandy rooster giving out these orders with your belly sticking out more than your chest most of the time right? It's a matter of the husband loving sacrificially. So here's what I've learned in marriage counseling. People come in and they're desperate. They have no hope. They do not believe their marriage can change. They don't think God can change that man and they don't think God can change that woman. I've got news for you. He can. So you have to embrace this with hope. Why? Because God gave it to us and God can do it. If he asks you men, to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then you can do it. Right? You won't do it perfectly. There's no way. That responsibility, we we fall under it because Christ loved the church in such a way that nothing could ever compare to it. Right? But how about wives? We submit unto that leadership. Why? We do so with hope because that's the pattern that God gave us. And how about joy? Well... Again, if you have become drunk on the poison of pragmatism or utilitarianism, then you feel like this submitting, loving thing won't work. Well, have you tried it? Have you submitted to the Lord? Well, we see a wife that seeks to model what we have in scriptures. But then on the other end, pastor, we see tyrannical, thick-headed, and hard-headed men. And so the wife has tried, 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 and failed... And she gives up. But on the other end of the spectrum we have a man who's trying to lead but then he becomes passive because of the stubbornness of his wife. Well I'm telling you you need to embrace the responsibilities with not only hope but with joy. Why? Because you have the joy of the Holy Spirit in you and again what God gives to you is the best he has to offer. So we don't we do this with confidence, we do it with hope, we do it with joy. Why? Because of Jesus. We're Christ-centered. So, listen to this. Please ask yourself to prepare your heart for what we're going to study when we go through this text. If you're young, not married, if you're eligible to marry, if you're married, you need to be committed to learn. That's true for our entire church. By doing this you'll know what to look for in marriage. And you will know how to prepare yourself as a radiant bride, ladies, for marriage. And husbands, you'll know how to prepare yourself as a loving husband. If you're a teenager, you need to pay close attention to what God has to say about marriage. Many failed marriages are a result of not thinking biblically about what marriage is supposed to be. And I can tell you now, there are many in this church, I'm sure, I don't know if that's the case, but I know there's many in this world that have gone through the tragedy of a failed marriage. And I don't say that to condemn anybody or demean or shame. I tell you that, young people, for edification, for your sake, that you look at marriage the way God intended for it to be. You can't look at your marriage through the lenses of hormones. You can't look at your marriage solely through the lens of finances. I'm telling you, folks, if you do that, that marriage will fail. It has to be through the lenses of a great God's love for his church. Through the lens of a church that willingly and voluntarily submits unto the head who is the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got one more thing. You ready? Make the word of God your standard and do not swerve from it. Make the word of God your standard. Hang on to the teaching of scripture. Don't set her for anything else in your marriage other than God's design for marriage. You have this choice to make right now. Young people, I'll say it again. You're in a unique position to listen and to learn what God has to say about marriage. You're in a unique position to listen to the word of God. Preacher, I will be an old maid if I'm looking for someone who hits this model as a husband who loves me as Christ loved the church. Well, here's what I'll tell you. You won't suffer over the long run if you're committed to God's righteous standard. You may think, I'm never going to get married. I don't need to hear this stuff because I've tried. I can't find the right God. Since when is this an excuse for not listening to the word of the living God? Right? The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, Well, it's painful for me, preacher. It's the word of God. You need to hear it. Why? Because you might get married in a couple of weeks. You may say, well, I'm an old maid. You never know what God's going to do, right? You never know what the Lord will do. So, if nothing else, you need to be equipped to speak to someone else about what marriage is supposed to be, right? So, wives, don't get COVID over the next few weeks. Don't get sick especially the next couple of weeks as we deal with the text from 22 down through 24. Husbands, show up to church and listen. Listen to the word of God. So, we need to ask, Father, help me live with my husband, wives, in such a way that magnifies the glory of Jesus. And husbands, pray that you are so Christ-centered that you are transformed from selfishness into Christ-like manhood, full of sacrificial love and abounding grace. Here's the deal. I believe the more that the glory of God is embraced by us, the more our marriages will be shaped by it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this overview, Lord, just to think of a biblical vision and design for marriage. And Lord, that one just kind of hits me every time I read that statement. Help us to embrace marriage with hope and joy. Father, I know full well that there are many, under the sound of my voice, who have either forgotten that or they're struggling because they're in a place of hopelessness. God, would you infuse into that marriage a sense of hope that if we submit To the God who loved the church so much that he gave himself for her. And the model of the church submitting to its loving, sacrificial head. That God, you can resurrect that marriage into a place of hope. And confidence in the Lord. And what about joy? Lord, we know that sin has defaced in so many ways the glory of home life. We get that. But Lord God, we know what your word says can happen when we're filled by your spirit. God, would you give us joy in our marriages? Not thinking about a ball or chain, or not thinking about what the hindrance is upon us. God, help us to do so with joy, because it's such a beautiful design. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be glued unto his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Lord, help us in our marriages. God, would you send revival into our family lives. Lord, into our marriages. God, would you do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Let's stand and as we worship, let's sing this. Uh, Lerna Harris wrote this great hymn of, uh, of commitment. And I don't have the right words up there. We're going to sing the, the, the words up there. And then we're going to um, ask the Lord to bless our marriages. So substitute marriage for worship after this first time through.
2: I give all my worship to you. I give all. wives make this commitment I give all
1: one more verse in one of the passages that we will visit it is one Peter chapter 3 and it also talks about the role of the wife and the role of the husband and one particular thing always sticks out in my mind it says for wives dwell with your husbands that without a word they may be won by your chaste conduct there's no telling how many women have lived in a home where the husband is lost And by her chaste conduct, without even saying a word, no nagging, Proverbs talks about a dripping faucet, like a nagging woman, drip, drip, this is without a word, because she's so passionate about Christ, it makes an impact on that man, and he bows a knee to the king. It's possible today that you're a husband in here, and you're lost as a ball in high grass you don't know the Lord so when I talk about the Holy Spirit you have no idea what I'm talking about but you know what you can know today bow your knee to Christ he loved you with an everlasting love he gave himself for you in order for you to be saved what I'm asking is believe the gospel repent believe in faith in Christ Jesus only and you can be saved it may be be vice versa it could be that the wife doesn't know the Lord. So I'm telling you, if we're going to have Christian marriages, it's important that you know the Lord. Amen. Let's sing one more verse.
2: Oh, to Jesus I surrender humbly at His feet.
1: amen. To God be the glory. So, we have Bible school this week. Are y'all excited? Well, I know the kids are, and I know Cindy and Jennifer and so many more have been working to get ready for VBS. It starts tomorrow morning at 9. 9, I'm glad, 9, not 8, right? No, seriously, 9 till 12 each day. So, I hope you will be here. Um, Y'all need more help? All right. Some ask coming in about helping. So, Cindy here, wave at everybody. And I'm sure Jennifer, well, it'll work for Jim to wave at everybody, right? They're one flesh. Find Jim, and he'll take you to Jennifer, and uh, we, we would appreciate your help. Okay. What was the other thing, David?
0: Well, uh, if, if you're helping in VBS, uh, come on down and we want to we pray and just dedicate you to the Lord. Amen. This week, and pastor's going to pray over you. So come on, make your way now. Quick, 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 quick. All
1: right. Did I miss something else?
0: Um, I don't think so. Well, oh, new members, if you were baptized. Yes.
1: So for Cross and uh, Harper, your families go to the back and, or stay here and run to the back. And we want to greet you because when they were baptized, those children became, also became members of our church. Okay. So it was, uh, that's what took place. Y'all come on down. All
0: right. And as they're coming, let me remind you, if you haven't yet um, registered your child or, uh, for VBS, uh, online registration is available through 3 o'clock today, and then it will shut down. So please get online and register if you're
1: coming tomorrow, please. All right. Well, let's join our hearts together. Father, we anticipate, Lord, uh, the joy of having our children in this building for an entire week. Lord, each day for a few hours, Lord, we all think back with fond memories, especially me, of uh, the days have changed, but we remember getting Kool-Aid and a couple cookies. That was it. But we heard the word of God. Lord, help us as teachers of your word not just to fill a slot of time, but to truly pray that you, Lord God, will work in the hearts of our children this week, Lord, may our adults have a sweet uh, fragrance of having a life changed by you as we greet people and as we uh, move around. Lord, help us to be hospitable, uh, to look for other people's needs above our own, and we just look for a wonderful week of Bible school. We pray that you would, Lord God, visit Hearts for Salvation, if it would please you, and Lord, help us to be obedient in the area of teaching, and uh, Father, give patience, Lord, give us endurance for this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.